following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. Continue to sit comfortably and bring a kind attention to your body, to your breath. bringing awareness, bringing into your awareness any story, situation, feelings, and reactions, and reactions that it's time to let go. Name them gently to yourself, anxiety, sadness, betrayal, whatever it may be. Allow them space to be, to float without resistance, all held in a heart of compassion and spaciousness. Continue to breathe and feel the unhappiness or the stress that comes from holding on. Do I have to hold on to these losses, these feelings? Is it time to let this go? The heart will know. Ask yourself if it is indeed wise to release this holding. Feel the benefits, the ease that will come from this letting go. Now begin to say to yourself gently, let go, let go, over and over, gently repeating to yourself, let go, let go. Soften the body and heart and let any feelings that arise drain out of you like water draining out of a tub. Let the images go, the beliefs, the self-righteousness, the unworthiness. Let it all go. Feel the space that comes as you let go, how the heart releases and the body opens. Now direct the mind to envision the future where this circumstance or circumstances, feelings have been released. Sense the freedom, the innocence, the ease that this letting go can bring. And say to yourself, let go several more times. 
sit quietly and notice if these feelings return. Each time they return, breathe softly as if to bow to them and say kindly, I've let you go. images and the feelings may come back many times, yet as you continue to practice, they will eventually fade. Gradually the mind will come to trust the space of letting go. Gradually the heart will be easy and you will be free. Gently transitioning and take a, a short stretch, stand up, and we'll start the talk shortly. Good evening. So this talk um, is on letting go, the wisdom of letting go. Um, my name is Mira, Mira Young. I've been a long time member of the center here and practicing in this Vipassana tradition for about 20-some years. And uh, I'm also a psychotherapist and I integrate mindfulness and uh, practice Buddhist psychology into my work. And there's other things too you can read about if you want to. But um, I'm, I'm really grateful to be here this evening and support Mark in his retreat. And uh, when it came time, the, the stress of coming up with a, a, to, a topic for a Dharma talk arose. And um, I kept thinking, what is it? What is it? And the deadline was passed, and they were emailing me. And, and so I just like, okay, letting go. <laughs> and at the time, um, and it's still on and off, of course, I was struggling particularly with a, a family member. I won't reveal to protect their identity, but uh, a close family member of mine um, is someone that I get caught in reactivity to their behavior and, and try to um, change and get frustrated about and, you know, worry about. And so um, I thought letting go would be helpful. So I have some reflections and some different ways to explore letting go. Obviously, it's a very huge, um, broad topic, and there's many ways to explore and experience letting go and what it means for you. So these are some, some reflections, some teachings, and some things that can hopefully support you in your practice. Paradoxically, letting go is both the path and the goal path and the goal of our practice. The Buddha describes the ease that comes as we let go as a bee takes the essence of the flower 
and pollen without destroying its beauty or its perfume. So the wise wander freely in this life, carrying only blessings. One of our teachers who's going to be here soon, um, Steve Armstrong, and I'm sure he heard this from his teacher, he would tell us often on retreat, let go a little and you have a little freedom. Let go a lot and you've got a lot of freedom. Letting go, I would see it as an intention, an intention to let go. It's an art, a practice, a process, a mystery. It's a necessity for happiness and freedom. This is um, a reading from The Wise Heart um, by Jack Cornfield. There's a quote here from Ajahn Buddhadasa, a colleague of Achacha, who's from the forest monks forest tradition of practice and he made a point of directing his students to look for nirvana or freedom the freedom of letting go in the simplest of ways in everyday moments nirvana he would say or awakening is the coolness of letting go the inherent delight of experience when there's no grasping or resistance to life it's always available he explained further that anyone can see if grasping and aversion were with us day and night without ceasing. And who would ever stand them? If it was with us all the time, who could stand it? You know, we may think that we're always grasping and holding on, but the reality is, is that there are moments when there is letting go. Under these conditions, living beings would either die or go insane. Instead, we survive because there's natural periods of coolness, of wholeness, and ease. In fact, they are longer than the fires of our grasping and fear. It is what sustains you. Why don't we feel thankful for this everyday nirvana or freedom? How do we do this? We love to let go of the world at night when we go to sleep. Letting go and having a good night's sleep is delicious. Letting go while we're awake is delicious too. Letting go of clinging to the changing conditions, we free ourselves. Let go and rest in the unconditioned. We are all simply the awareness of it all. There's, as I said, there's many aspects of ways to explore letting go, and I kind of broke it down into three different aspects or type. There's the letting go of the illusion of control. And that this is some um, craving and wanting life, ourselves, others, our circumstances to be other than they are. How many of us struggle with wanting things to be other than they are and wishing that we could control ourselves, people, and things that obviously is not possible. So then another way, another aspect of um, letting go is this ego clinging or ego identification. I, me, mine. The stories of me being the star of our own movie. Often it's a story of unworthiness. It's my fault. There's something wrong with me. Um, poor me. Um, life from an egoic sense perspective. We take suffering personally. And then there's the letting go, letting go, which is what we just read about, what I just read about Ajahn Buddhadasa, which is the letting go of radical freedom, awakening, which is what is that sense of the path and the practice are the same, the goal of this radical letting go of all of that clinging. So there's, there's some paradoxes. There's a paradox also, not only of that letting go is both a path and a practice, but the paradox that there's, there's this work of letting go. There's a part where we make this intention and there's a practice of letting go. And then there's also non-doing. There's the kind of spontaneous letting go that just happens. You know, like 
Um, I was sitting at a retreat um, the last week and a half or so, and on the altar there are these beautiful hibiscus plants. And I, I, I love it because we I was also learning more open-eye meditation. I'd be sitting there. And then a couple of times during this 10- or 12-day period, just, I'd be, just that moment where a shriveled-up hibiscus blossom would just drop, you know, just on its own. It would just fall, just this moment of, you know, the letting go. It just does that, you know, in its own timing, you know, a leaf, a flower. I was watching, as maybe some of you do this time of year, um, I came back from retreat and there's a, some peonies in the backyard. And you can see the ants nibbling away at those closed fists of the peonies. And it looked hopeless. It looked like, God, this is going to take them weeks, you know, these tight fists, white fists of these flowers and these black ants. And every now and then I'd find one of them on the kitchen counter and take it outside. And, and it was a miracle. Within three days, whew, full blossoms, completely open. Just how that can happen, how blossoming can happen is, it's like spontaneous, you know, in its own process. So the sense that letting go is a process that we don't have control over, that has its own timing. And yet there's also an, a, work, a work to be done, and I'm, I'd like to share some readings about this. This is a little poem by a woman named Jennifer Edwards. Why cling to the arrow shot at you, insults, wounds? Time heals, you see. Why hold so tightly? Do these things define you? Do these things set you free? Why inject yourself with these poisons of mind, anxiety, greed, anger, despair? Why not let them go? Set them free. Accept the choices you have and your responsibilities. Accept all that is rather than as it should be. For what does define you? What will set you free? What if you never find great meaning? What if in not clinging you find stillness? What if in not clinging you find stillness, calm, Honesty, health, peace. As I was reflecting on these different aspects about letting go of the clinging that causes our suffering, I was noticing that they go with the the different noble truths and also the Eightfold Path. And then I came across this reading by Ajahn Sumedho, who's a senior monk in the forest tradition. And... um, He said it so beautifully, I'm just going to bear with me, read what he wrote about the relationship between letting go and the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. And he'll review these here. So the first Noble Truth is about suffering, that there's suffering in life, which becomes increasingly apparent as you sit here contemplating your own body and mind. Just be aware of what happens. You can see when good thoughts pass by, physical pleasure, there's happiness, and when there's pain or negativity, there's despair. So we can see we are always habitually trying to attain, maintain, or get rid of conditions, right? We're we're constantly trying to manipulate it in some way. And the second noble truth, which is about being aware of the cause of the suffering, which is craving, So this is being aware of the arising of the three kinds of desire that we have. That desire or craving for sense pleasure, for becoming, that sense of becoming a me, a self, and for getting rid of something. So we're talking about reaching out, clinging, and aversion. And these and how these arise according to conditions. And then the penetration of the third noble truth is how we see what arises and that, and that it has an end, that it has cessation, that we become aware of cessation, the letting go, and thus developing the fourth noble truth, which is the truth of the Eightfold Path, right understanding or wise view, which I'll talk about a little more, right intention, wise intention, 
right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. In other words, the path of awareness. I really love this next thing that he said because um, I don't know about you, but I have an obsessively compulsive thinking mind. And, and Ajahn Sumedho has a wonderful sense of humor. Um, and it just it's so refreshing. It helps me let go just reading about this. The, letting, the practice of letting go is very effective for minds obsessed by compulsive thinking. You, simply, you simplify your meditation practice down to two words, letting go. Rather than try to develop this practice, develop this and that, achieve this and that, study suttas, study Abhidhamma, learn Pali, Sanskrit, you know, go to, go to more conferences, um, you know, learn, learn, learn. We just let go. Let go. That's our practice. He says that, that this obsession with letting go is a skillful one. As you repeat this over and over, whenever a thought arises, you're aware of it arising and you keep letting go. You're just aware of whatever moves. It, don't try to force it. Don't try to get rid of it. Letting go is a practice. It's a way of clearing the mind of its obsession and negativity. Use it gently, but with resolution. So this is the working part of it. Meditation is skillful letting go, deliberately emptying out the mind so we can see the purity of the mind, clearing it out so that things can kind of come into their own place. And then when the mind is empty, you can just drop in that inquiry, who's letting go? Who's letting go? Try to find out who or what is it that lets go. And that takes us more towards that third noble truth, the unconditioned. And ultimately, on a profound level, we let go of letting go. Because ultimately, there's no one that lets go. Letting go is doing itself. Doing this. So, so letting go is really the key to the ultimate freedom. And it's not something that's just for wise old monks or people that study for a thousand years. This is available to us through the practice of letting go. Well, um, as I mentioned, I work as a psychotherapist and I apply a lot of the Buddhist psychology. And, and um, you know, I see people often come in to, to therapy because they feel stuck. They feel like that tight fist of the peony. They feel somehow trapped in their conditioning, in their mind states, in their situations. Um, they don't know what to do. Um, they're just aware of the pain of feeling stuck and trapped. And they don't see any possibility of freedom. And often, we, when we feel that way, what do we want to do? Get rid of it. Um, on the retreat that I was at with a Tibetan teacher, Sokni Rinpoche, and also this is in our tradition as well, is, is that, as Rumi says, the moment we accept what's given, the door opens. So when we actually turn towards that stuckness, you know, invite someone to notice, well, what does that feel like in your body? What are the beliefs? What are the thoughts? What, what, what is the quality of that? And then they start to feel that. And then, and then it's like the awareness, by accepting it, by becoming intimate, by meeting it with some kind of kind attention and compassion, it begins to release. Or another possibility, oh, wow, yeah. I realize I've had all these expectations, you know, of myself, of my family, of life. You know, I thought I would be here by now, or I shouldn't be feeling this way. And so, so my dear, my dear stuckness, my dear despair, my dear anxiety, you know, connecting with it, build, having a different kind of relationship. The Buddha taught that nirvana is always here. Awakening is always here. It is in the present. It is now. 
in the flip side of our clinging and our craving, it can be experienced in a moment, this moment. It doesn't have to take a lifetime for you to find inner peace. You don't have to die to find your moment. It can be there, an Oprah moment, one of those aha moments. I don't know quite know. Does anyone know what an Oprah moment is? I have never had an Oprah moment. Anyway, this author has. If you were to look up the meaning of the word Oprah, I mean Nirvana, (laughs) you would find it means extinction or the alienation of suffering. It can happen simply by letting go of our neediness, our clinging, our craving, our attachments, our greed and delusions. When all the conflicts generated by these things are no longer controlling our lives, we will reach the place where suffering will cease. I think humor, humor is a wonderful way of letting go and waking us up. I didn't really have a comic or anything, and as I was about to leave the house, this caught my eye. It's from funny times. There's a couple of young, young guys, you know, walking out of high school, the graduation comic, and one of the young people says, I'm almost out of here, so I don't need to study too hard. I can coast on what I already know. So you can... Be assured, you can coast on what you already know, okay? That possibility is available to you. So one of the places that I mentioned that we suffer is in this sense of a a fixed identity that we have about ourselves. Um, One author, Neil David Walsh, says, Central to the stories we tell ourselves are fixed beliefs that we have. It's as if you've been cast in a movie as a depressed person, a beautiful person, a compromiser, a clown, an angry victim, or whom what someone will take advantage of. And because these thoughts are so powerful, we live them out over and over again. These patterns of thoughts, together with the contractions of the body and heart, create a limited sense of self. They're sometimes called the body of fear. And we, when we live from the body of fear, our life is simply one habit and reaction. So our honorable practice starts to unmask this. As we start to sit with awareness, we start to recognize and free up and let go of some of those limiting beliefs that we have, some of those stories. Um, Cornfield says, we learn to step out of these old skins the small sense of self into the reality of the present. We find ways to allow the body to ease, the heart to soften, and the stories of the mind to fall away. And that we can begin to enter this eternal present. I um, have a a really close friend who um, I sometimes have talked about her here. She's been had been caring for her mother with advanced Alzheimer's um, um, for, I think, the last about 11 years. Um, First living separately and then living with her in the house for about eight years. And uh, she lives in another state, and she's a very dear friend. I think I've known her for about 25 years. She's a godsend to my son. And she's one of those people, and hopefully... Most of us have that, and I'm very grateful that we have some people that we can always call or that see our beauty, our goodness, that know us. And, um, and it's, it, it was finally time after all these years, um, whatever the resources ran out, and the mother was placed in a nursing home a couple of weeks ago. And then my friend was free to leave and reclaim and see who she was now, her life. And um, I was on my way to a little self-retreat. It was the anniversary of my mother's death coming up, and it was her birthday, and I wanted to take some time to be with that loss, you know, the letting go of a a parent of that relationship and all its complexities. And and, uh, um, I I called my friend on the cell phone. Yes, I was driving on the phone, (laughs) freeway with the cell phone. And... uh, Um, And she told me that she had gotten her ticket and she was going to be leaving in a couple of weeks. 
and it was like boom and I felt this this like clinging like just like no <laughs> you know just that feeling like I didn't want her to, to let go you know of her being around and available so you know just reflect you know there's times where letting go is hard you know we are attached you know to our bodies being a certain way our health our, our, our friends our partners you know the things that we love to do and it's hard to let go and um, she's always been a kind of a, a, a not kind of she's a great spiritual support to me and I see her as kind of leading the way lighting the way and um, and when I feel stuck and I'm in that tight fist and I'm and everything in my practice isn't quite working, I can call her up and within like a few minutes we're laughing usually or she's just holding the space for what it is. And, and I'm not buying into the story of me, my suffering. And so it's just really hard to let go. And I've talked to her a couple more times and I let her know. I said, I'm really going to miss you. And I don't know when I'm really going to get to see her again because she's on her own journey. She's going on a spiritual journey. We have some loose plan of connecting up somewhere, perhaps later in the summer. But she's really doing her thing. It's like she's going on retreat, like she's going to the monastery, except she's on some journey that she's doing. So it's it's really um, challenging. And so one of the ways that I'm helping my heart let go, and she helped me with this, is that knowing that there's other ways that we're connected. And also um, that it's okay to, to grieve, you know, to be, you know, letting go is sometimes painful. And also I feel happy, you know, I feel happy for her, um, for her being on her journey now. And I'm going to miss her being so available and realize how precious that is. So I'd like to share a, a few more things with you about this letting go and then open it up for some discussion. Jack Cornfield says um, that the third noble truth is letting go, letting go of our desire for control, for revenge, for satisfying the endless pursuit of what we don't have. By focusing our attention on what's missing from our lives, we attach the sources of our suffering. Life is a constant balancing act between holding on and letting go what is dear to us. Letting go doesn't mean that we don't care and we don't respond. In fact, letting go is often the best way that we can really let go of some of those expectations and really show up and be supportive and supporting to those dear to us. Um, this is a woman um, Dharma teacher, Dr. Tintin. Um, she's being asked, why is letting go so important in Buddhism? The term letting go has become a catchword in Buddhist circles. It's true that letting go is crucial to arriving at self-realization and inner freedom, but you have to understand how to let go. Well, how are we supposed to let go? To let go of the clinging, let go of the motivating desire behind whatever you're doing. It may be a desire to succeed, to be perfect, to control others, to glorify yourself. It doesn't matter. What matters is is the desire behind it. It's easy to mistake the act for the desire. So she's asking us to do that work of looking at, oh, where's the clinging in this? Or what's the desire? And also, is it wholesome? Is it supporting freedom? Or is it encouraging a sense of more suffering and clinging? So you start to use the noble truth and the Eightfold Path as wedges of awareness, as tools that you can draw from in your practice. This is a little bit intense, um, I thought, but a, a, a wake-up for us. Cornfield says, in spiritual life, there's no room for compromise. Awakening is not negotiable. We cannot bargain to hold on to things that please us while relinquishing things that do not matter to us. A, lurk, a lukewarm yearning for awakening is not enough to sustain us through the difficulties involved in letting go. It is important to understand that anything that can be lost to us never truly was ours. Anything that we deeply cling to only imprisons us. 
um, a colleague of mine is going on her first long retreat, and she asked me if I had any um, suggestions for her retreat. She was kind of anxious about it. And so I, sh- I just briefly emailed her back um, what I've heard from my teachers and what I've learned from my own experience of practice, and that is to let go of expectations and to let go of trying to do it right and to just trust the process. You know, just kind of let it, let it do you, let it, let it unfold. Actually, um, what's really wonderful is that when we really let go, when we let go completely, what, what comes when the mind lets go of its grasping, it dwells in the four heavenly abodes or the noble abodes of loving kindness, compassion, empathetic joy, and equanimity. That, that's our, our birthright, so to speak. That's where the mind dwells, when it's not occupied with self-clinging, when it's not caught and, and suffering and at war with itself or with life. When, when we start to really let go, that those noble abodes become our mind. Achan Shah says, do not try to become anything. Do not make yourself into anything. Do not be a meditator. Do not become enlightened. When you sit, let it be. When you walk, let it be. Grasp at nothing. Resist nothing. He also says, if you haven't wept deeply, you haven't begun to meditate. Well, a couple more little readings here, and then we'll have some discussion. Um, it's a little story here. This story called Only Passing Through by Jack Cornfield. Letting go and moving through life from one change to another brings the maturing of our spiritual being. In the end, we discover that love and letting go can be the same thing that letting go ultimately is love. There's a story, an old story of a famous rabbi living in Europe who was visited one day by a man who had traveled all the way from New York to see him. The man came to the great rabbi's dwelling, a large house on a street in a European city, and was directed to the rabbi's room, which was in an attic. He entered there to find the master, the master living in a room with a bed, a chair, and a few books. The man had expected much more. After greetings, he asked the rabbi, where are your things? The rabbi asked in return, well, where are yours? The visitor. But the rabbi said, I'm only passing through. And the master, oh, but his visitor replied, sorry, his visitor replied, but rabbi, I'm only passing through. And the master answered, so am I, so am I. To love fully and live well requires to recognize that we do not possess anything that we own. Our homes, our cars, our loved ones, not even our body. A dear friend, a dharma um, member, a person who is part of the Common Ground um, Treasury and and volunteer, Eric Eric Stoll, died recently. Some of us were at the memorial service. He died a very beautiful, painful, conscious death. Um, It was a real um, gift the way that he and his family shared, his wife Kyoko, this letting go, this deep letting go of, of, of a life um, that seems so young, early 60s. And that to, to love, me, this means this letting go, that spiritual joy and wisdom do not come through possession, but through our capacity to open, to love more fully, to move and to be free in life. This is not a lesson to be put off. And uh, Eric's Death certainly brought that home, that letting go and letting go of a lot of those expectations and and doing the work of bringing awareness to the patterns, to the places of clinging 
you know, when we when we bring our mindfulness, our love, our compassion to those tight places, they can begin in their own way to open and to release and to let go. We can't force it, but we can have that intention and we can hold it with that. I'd like to close with this poem called Peaches, Tents, and Dreams by one of my favorite poets, Mark Nepple. It's taken almost 60 years, but today as the wet grass shines and the peaches soften from the inside, I stand with nothing between me and life. The dream I've carried like a tent has come down. It wasn't a false dream, but a plan I asked too much of, and now it's complete. Now that I've arrived where I wanted or achieved what I set out to do, that is our illusion. Come, look, as the sun evaporates rain into pure growth, the dream, however we personalize it, covers us, covers us until we grow through it. For the first time, I am skinless in the air. No map or design or secret goal. It feels good and unpredictable, good and porous, good as air in the mouth of a turtle shaking dirt from its eyes. invite you to take a, a moment just to see what's arising to your heart and mind, either from the earlier letting go meditation or from anything that might have resonated or with you, questions or your own explorations into letting go. from each other. Is it hard to let go? Is it easy? What's hard? Yeah. Oh, there's a couple of people. Go. Talk more about that. I mean, 
that's something to also let go of, or I mean, things like that. Why we do, but also that sort of clinging to something beyond the moment. Well, you're you're kind of answering yourself. It's your relationship to it. I think where the trap is, where the where the clinging is, and I've seen this. It's, it's sometimes very heartbreaking. Is like, um, I'll just give you a quick example. Like for example, um, say a young college student or graduate student comes in or, or an, a, a writer, an artist, they've submitted their work and they get a rejection. Devastating. You know, or they, they get a D on a class or, fa- I mean, it's like, it's this whole sense of my worth as a person, my being. We're so attached, we're so identified with that. And, and you know, and if you look at it, actually, a lot of people, they change careers. They change a lot, you know, identities, athletes no, are no longer, you know, athletic, I, um, you know, different different things change. So I think it's more our relationship. It's not that we don't have goals and that we don't have purpose. I mean, you know, the path and the goal of liberation is an intention, but it's our relationship to it. It's like if we're so identified and attached, like, like I'm not going to be an okay person unless I achieve this. Like that's... It's, it's, it's that self-clinging that we've taken birth in it to such a degree we don't have a perspective. You know, when I see, say, a young man or woman come in and they're just devastated because, you know, things aren't going the way they thought and they're not, a, and I'm a bad person and they can't see their own beauty and their own goodness because they haven't, they feel like they failed. And it's not just young people who feel like we failed our goal or, or who am I if I haven't accomplished this? You know, or it didn't turn out well. You know, and this is where it's frightening. You know, people jump off buildings. You know, if they lose their fortune. You know, who am I without that? So I think it's it's how we hold it. But of course, of course, um, Philip Moffat talks a lot about living. You know, following your intentions. You know, yeah, it's fine to have goals and purpose. It's just the the, the non clinging. You know, holding it with, in a more spacious way. Does that make sense for you? Not so, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you could practice with it. You can explore. Like, like, what does that mean for me? You know, letting go around this. Do you have a comment? Um, I was. You asked the question of you know what's so hard about letting go. And for me, um, where I'm at right now, my practice is the physical part of it. Mm-hmm. For me, um, whenever uh, feeling tight about something or or anything like that, I physically feel tight, like my muscles will tighten up. So I've been, um, for the last, uh, three or four weeks, I've been really working on, you know, just letting go, letting my muscles relax, and just mm-hmm. literally just constantly telling them to make them relax. Mm-hmm. And it's getting easier and easier. Mm-hmm. But that's, for me, the hardest part is to getting the, the outside shell of me to relax so I can let go. Yeah, and, and a lot of those patterns, like when we discover in our sitting, you know, we sometimes call it dharma pain. You know, like all that's held in the body. So it may seem like it's your shell, but it's also those deep holding patterns and ways that you've caught. Like sometimes we're noticing, oh my God, I, I tend to, this is where, you know, I'm, I'm clenching. Like we didn't even notice that. Or I'm hunching. Or my, I'm tight. Or this is where I carry the stress. So, so bringing that kind attention and practicing. I actually just got done with a session with someone who was dealing with a lot of stress and anxiety and that's what we were doing was just you know inviting out of the you know the anxiety into the body and teaching it teaching it like a, you know remembering like a baby body to remember what that feels like to breathe and soft but yeah it's a lot um, yes go ahead one of the things that Actually, I didn't read the whole thing, but 
Cornfield actually addressed that, and particularly to parents, that we, even with young adults, that, that the letting go, again, I just quoted the part about it doesn't mean that we're not, we don't care and we're not supportive. It's, it's, it, again, it's our, we're looking, we're shining the light of awareness at our, at our attachment and our clinging and our desire to try to control others. So caring and supporting. I mean, I think a lot of times we hear the Dharma and it sounds like this all or nothing, this is the way to go. But actually, it's very, we really make it our own and we look to ourselves like with the person that I'm struggling with. It's like, yes, I want to continue to care and be supportive, but I'm aware that there's certain ways that I react or that I um, cling to wanting it to be that person to be or do a certain thing, that they're not going to be able to do it that way, that cause suffering to me and her hurt our relationship. You know, So I think it's finding the balance. You know, you know, um, to use the more clinical thing, it's like when am I enmeshed? When am I, you know, getting all overly in an unhealthy way? You know, losing, getting too overwhelmed. And when am I being doing what's called for? So I think it's a discerning process. But letting go is not about abandoning. In fact, um, that would be kind of a it's kind of like equanimity isn't indifference, or, you know, it's about balance. So you'd have to ask yourself in your heart what that means for you. you know. Sorry, do you have a question? Yeah. Um, no. I, I okay. mean, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I'm not sure where what you're thinking in your mind or the situation. So yeah. you, you have to trust yourself. You know, I can't tell. You know, you have to get a feel for what what that feels like. If if it feel if you're hearing letting go feels like abandoning, you know, you have you know you explore that for you in your heart and in your relationship with your daughter and what makes sense and. Yeah, trusting yourself with that. And it's hard. It's hard to know. It's really, it's difficult. Um, Maybe we have time for a few more comments or questions with somebody. Oh, sorry. That's okay. Um, Yeah, I I appreciated your your story about your friend because I think for me, um, and I really appreciated the the the, the subjects and the content of the talk today mm-hmm. uh, definitely you know, <laughs> spoke to me in my day and my week. Um, but I find myself um, a lot of times where I feel myself getting caught and not being able to let go is and I get surprised by it actually. I get and what I get surprised by is that it can be ego centered side of letting go. So I'll think that I'm putting forth this particular um, version of myself or, you know, actions or something. And then um, it will, and then all of a sudden it'll come back to me that, you know, um, this person that I care about in a personal relationship or it could be, you know, um, also just in terms of bigger structural issues like race and gender and you know, whatever is seeing it in a, in a, seeing me in a completely different way. Mm-hmm. And um, like today, I had some interesting um, interaction with a colleague at a big and, and I really felt like I was I was centered. And then she did this one thing that just it made me so mad. I felt so mad in my body, <laughs> you know. And I just been sort of like running through that in my mind, you know. And um, and it's just like. But it's those instances where, you know, it's sort of like you think, you, you think you, you, have, you have this idea of what you're doing in yourself or whatever that's based on, obviously, like a insular, you know, this idea that we are insular, you know, that there is me or whatever. And um, and then somebody close to you, like my husband or something, is like, yeah, that was really how I saw that, what you did at all. And then I feel like, but for me, a lot of times the more painful stuff to let go of and to really 
where I really get into reactivity, especially at work, is when I feel like the the like the societal, like the, the race stuff come you know, that that is really hard for me to just be like, oh what the I'm just gonna do my job. Right. And I, I think we have to be, um, you know, appreciate your sharing and bringing that up and not be able to address everything, you know, what you were saying. But, you know, um, you know, the Dharma is not about denying the reality of racism or, um, or the times where we experience being hurt or getting caught angry, a reaction. It's, it's, it's bringing this quality of awareness and seeing where the suffering is and where we can let go of the suffering. And, and, and it may include educating people. It may include um, taking a risk to clear up a conflict, however small. That's part of um, wise speech, is to clear up conflicts, however small. And, and sometimes sitting with something, because sometimes the first wave, um, um, you know, I notice like, oh, I, I, there's a reaction of anger, and then you go over it a couple times, and sometimes it gets worse, you know, and you get more mad, and then sometimes it's like, wait a minute, how come I'm getting so? What is it that that that, that I'm getting so angry about, you know? And sometimes it's it, it's like that your feelings were hurt, or there's something else, or something scared you, or something felt, um, you know, um, disrespectful. And, and then you just, and then you can start to sense of how you want to respond versus react. So I think the Dharma gives us these options to how do I want to respond versus react. Like feel the pain. We feel the pain of it. We 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 honor what we're feeling. We're not saying don't feel it. Just be this sort of. But but we start to get less caught in it for less long. I find that I'm not. I I, I suffer less because I'm not willing to to be anger, you know, I still might be upset about something, but I'm not willing to, you know, feed the, the fire because it, who suffers, your friend or you, you know, so, but it doesn't mean you don't say, you know, listen, I felt angry when you said that, or that hurt, or, you know, so take care of yourself, thank you. So we, we, I think we have maybe time for one more thing, and then we'll have announcements and meta loving kindness. Is it, was there anyone else that I thought had their hand up? If not, we'll close. All right. Thank you for your attention. Should we do the? You want to do the announcements after the loving kindness, or? All right. Let's let's sit. Adjust your posture. Let's just sit for a few minutes of loving kindness. Thank you for your sharing and attention. May you know the sweetness of and freedom of letting go. Letting go the words, just taking a few moments and breaths to connect with your body sitting, breathing, being with yourself, noticing how this body, heart and mind are feeling now this evening. And then as much as you can, appreciating yourself. Appreciating yourself for taking time to nurture your own practice of awareness and caring for your own hearts. Wishing yourself well. May I be well, peaceful, free from suffering. May I live with ease and joy, wonder and wisdom. And then we can share the benefits of our practice with one another, those near and dear to us, known and unknown that we share our lives with. And then out into the world to all sentient beings everywhere, especially those places of so much 
war and suffering and hunger and recovery from natural disaster. So just as far and wide as the heart would like to go this evening, just as I wish for myself peace, happiness, and freedom, I wish this for all sentient beings everywhere in all directions. We'll just sit for a few moments radiating, loving like the warmth rays of the sun shining from our hearts. And it's fine to stay with yourself. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.